1: Welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. And uh, this week, we're going to talk to a special guest. This guy is just a good friend of mine. None of you know who this person is. Well, maybe his family and, you know, my brother uh, and others may know who he is. But we're talking a handful of people. Most of you never heard of the guy. He's just a wonderful human being funny as can be and just a lot of fun to be in wicked super smart and i just think it'd be good to kind of tap into a banter that we have on a regular basis there's so many times that i've chatted with this guy john shaver and john and i've just chatted either online texting emailing uh, phone conversations in person and yeah just I, i always so many times i thought back this would be really entertaining if somebody was listening to this because it, it really is kind of a walk down memory lane. I kind of call this the Wonder Years podcast because we're going to talk about life in America, growing up, what it was like, what it should be like. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Now, I'm going to touch on some things on the news, and we're going to talk about stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid so- somewhere. But then uh, then we're going to get into this podcast with, with John Shaver. All right. First, I want to talk about what's going on in the news. And again, some stories that maybe slipped under the radar. You're you're paying attention, but did you really see this and highlight this? There is a a notice that was put out by the federal government. I read about this on foxnews.com, and it was about the immigration naturalization test. So the way this works is when you're going to become a citizen, you have a potential of a hundred different questions. And then they take 10 of those questions at random and you have to get six of the 10 that they choose out of the hundred. You got to get those correct. And the way it works is those questions are asked orally. And then you have to kind of almost in essay verbal format, uh, give the answers. But now what the government's doing under Biden and Harris, are we making the country better or worse? They've decided to redo the test so that they can just do it as multiple choice. (laughs) That just isn't right. You know, you're trying to become a citizen of the United States of America. And what are they trying to fix? Or are they trying to make it easier and push more people through? I think you know where I think this is. And I just think it's wrong. I also want to highlight something that actually went well not everything has to be a disaster that we talk about now at the United Nations. And I got to tell you, I got a lot of problems, a lot of challenges, a lot of questions uh, for the United Nations, but the UN women's right commission voted 29 to eight with 16 abstentions. Think about it, 16 people didn't, or countries didn't vote, but they voted to expel the Islamic Republic of Iran. For the remainder of its 2022 to 2026 term, it's the first time in UN history that a member state has been removed from the body. Now, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan went on to say the United States is working with our allies and partners around the world to hold Iran accountable for the abuses it is committing against its own people, notably peaceful protesters, women and girls. You know what? When something goes right and things are moving in the right direction, we should applaud that pat them on the back. And you know what? Glad they finally voted those people off. I can't believe that Iran is allowed to be on the women's rights commission. My goodness. Glad they got they're making that small but notable change. I also wanted to highlight survivor I think it's like the 43rd episode of uh not episode but season of survivor now i remember the early days of survivor love that show i've watched a bit here and there but man it's been on for years now well uh i'm not sure how to pronounce his name i'm sure somebody will correct me here mike got gabler g-a-b-l-e-r gabler i think is his last name what a guy he is a heart valve specialist I don't know if that means he's a doctor or what he is in the process. I'm just reading about it. He's age 52. Well, he won. He he went out, beat everybody uh, on the CBS uh, show. Um, And he talked about, look, if I win, I'm going to donate all this money. But when he ended up being essentially the sole survivor, the winning survivor, he followed through on that. He's donating his entire $1 million prize to veterans. What a good guy. He didn't just talk about it and use it as a ploy to try to win. He's actually making that donation. The $1 million is going to veterans' causes. Good for Survivor, better for Mike Gabler for actually following through and doing that. It's so easy to put the money in his pocket. I think most of us, I mean, would you do that? I I tell you, what a good guy, with good heart, worth noting. All right. Now, I want to talk about something that really did touch my heart. And I hope that I can get this guy on a podcast. Because in 2006, I saw this initially on Instagram. Then I've read more about it. Then I went and did some research. I watched some YouTube videos. I looked at their website. And I really want to learn more about this. It's called Morgan's Wonderland. And for those of you in San Antonio, Texas, you probably already know what this is. But in 2006, Gordon Hartman... Uh, observed that his daughter Morgan she wanted to play with other kids that were vacationing at a hotel swimming pool but Morgan has some developmental issues um, some disabilities um, that may or may not be so obvious to people and it kind of touched his heart that she wasn't able to play and do things maybe that other kids were able to do so fortunately for all of us in this world, Gordon Hartman has been very successful and knows how to build a business and make money because Gordon, wanting to help his, his daughter Morgan, created Morgan's Wonderland. He spent over $50 million and he built essentially a theme park or a, a, a place where people could go of if you're disabled, abled, whatever you are where every kid can enjoy it. If you're in a wheelchair, this is a place you can go and enjoy uh, the water and enjoy all kinds of stuff. One-third of the staff are special needs um, uh, staff. They've had over 2 million visitors come through this. They opened up the ultra-accessible theme park um, and expanded to... Morgan's Inspiration Island, which was named the 2018 World's Greatest Places on the list by Time Magazine. And their mission is one of total inclusion. The park strives to bring together guests of all ages, all abilities through the power of inclusive play. I'm telling you, Morgan's Wonderland, I'd never heard of it, but it's the way things should be. And you watch that video, you'll get tears in your eyes. And I want to talk to this guy gordon and just pat him on the back and hear how he did it because he built something that gosh i wish every community had but certainly good for those uh, people in texas and those that can get down there and enjoy it it's touched literally over two million visitors hearts along the way good for them all right so on the other end of the spectrum time to bring on the stupid because you know what there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere Well, Jesse Waters, the primetime Jesse Waters program, I watched this and I thought, all right, that's worth repeating because that's just downright stupid. The residents in Dedham, Massachusetts, I think that's how you you said it, Uh, you you pronounced the name of that city. The Endicott Branch Library decided to forego putting up their annual Christmas tree. But you know what? They thought it might offend somebody. So, of course, they did the politically correct woke thing and just decided not to do a Christmas tree. Well, then the the citizens said, no, we got enough of that. And then Jesse Waters highlighted it and then, oh, did they get a barrage so much so that it brought the Christmas tree back. So, Good job, because um, you know what, Endicott Branch Library, I hope you got a taste of some medicine that says, you know what, you don't have to be so woke in everything you do. And you know what, putting up a Christmas tree at the public library, as you've done for years, isn't going to offend anybody. Certainly not in the United States of America. And that is just bringing on the stupid. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on. Um, I'm really looking forward to this discussion. So let's give a ring to John Shaver. Hello. John Shaver, this is Jason Chaffetz. Congressman, how are you today? Hey, I appreciate you joining me. This is going to be a little different, a little bit a little different for you, a little different for me. Glad to be here. Well, look, I have enjoyed through the years your uh, the wit and wisdom of, of John Shaver and just the interaction that we've had, online, text, talking, whatever. And so I just kind of want to talk about, uh, I, I don't know, I kind of was thinking like, At the end of the year beginning of the next it's good to kind of look back and you know i'm getting a little older and you know what john you're getting a little older too (laughs) you know that happens and it seems like every day i just get a little
0: bit older and and it just happens
1: so you know when i was a little kid i was pretty happy because i had a big wheel and i would ride this thing around and it literally for those of you who don't know what a big wheel is it literally was a self-propelled three-wheeler with a big wheel in the front and two small ones on the back and a brake, where I so I could and, ski and it. And adjustable, adjustable seat with a saddle back. Yeah, oh, I forgot about the adjustable seat because I
0: yeah. And do you remember? I mean, you were one of the kids I envied. I would have done just about anything for a big wheel. And then the
1: redeeming factor about a big wheel
0: was. It had absolutely zero traction.
1: Yes, that's right. That's how you could skid real well. That's good. Right, the spin-out lever. And then it was eclipsed by the technological
0: masterpiece, although sometimes looked down upon by purists, the green machine.
1: Yeah, you know, the green machine was really ahead of its time because everybody's gone green, gone woke. But the green machine was self-propelled way back then, although all made out of plastic. <laughs> indeed it was um, and uh,
0: you know it, it but it truly was I mean a flexible body masterpiece but it also introduced stability which was a big loss over the over the big wheel
1: good point I also enjoyed army men uh, I think my favorite toy was a stretch Armstrong but that's a little different than the toys that we have today uh, indeed I too had a stretch Armstrong
0: that that was something else and You know, the toys back then, they really required a lot more imagination, right? Um, And involvement. You brought the story, right? You made it happen uh, versus, um, you know, some of the toys today that just kind of spoon feed you the story and don't require that same level of engagement that that we had as kids.
1: Yeah, I mean, like Army Men and uh, Monkeys in a Barrel, um, you I would set them up. I would throw dirt clods at them. Um, oh yeah! You know, I, I would do everything I could to blow them up, run them over. I had Matchbox. Uh, I yeah. had like electro- how about
0: Mattel football?
1: Oh no, I did have that. That was kind of my the first foray into electronics. That you right. could go up. They had three spaces, right? That three were spaces. vertical: the, the top, the middle, and the bottom. And then you could go. <laughs> east west depending on which way you were doing and you had to avoid the defenders and it made those obnoxious right, and then, sounds and then you had to run the same section of field over and over and over again to it's get to the like right sort of like real football but John Madden <laughs> wasn't a video game John Madden was on the sidelines and then in the sports you know up in the in the booth as only John Madden could be. That's the real Madden, not the ben. Madden, whatever they're doing now. <laughs> true, true. Bam and boom. Um, that Mattel football, again, you were given – your players were red dots. Bright red or not quite so bright red, yes. Right, exactly.
0: And then um,
1: it was uh, replaced by football Two,
0: which do you remember what football Two added over football?
1: No, I don't. I don't remember that. Passing. Forward passing. Oh, that's right, passing. <laughs> I remember the original Atari. I remember being Pong, able to play Pong. Play Pong,
0: yeah. Pong was good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The 2600 was good and then of course you learned about it all through the Sears catalog.
1: Yeah, Sears catalog. You you got to um you got to see a little bit of everything including some scantily clad people. You got to see all the games. You got to see, like, they had ping-pong tables. And they had, you know, fashion. It was very fashion-forward. Tough
0: skins were in there. I would dare say that the um, Sears catalog was the Internet of our day.
1: You know, I heard this great comedian. uh, It was actually a couple different comedians, and it really did make me smile. And they said, you know, back in the day, everybody who was rich – well everybody had a everybody had a horse and then only the rich people had cars. Now it's the other way around. Everybody has a car and only the rich people have horses. <laughs> and then I heard it I heard another one say which just Charlie cracking me up. And he said, You know, it's this the newspaper just got they just got screwed. Because if the internet had been invented first and somebody came to you at the business plan and said hey you know what we're going to do we are going to take everything on the internet take the best of news sports weather crime state legislature you know we're going to take box scores we're going to take people who die we're going to print it out on a piece of paper and we're going to put it out on your uh, on your front porch it you don't have to plug it in you can use in the bird cage at the end that would be all the rage. Everybody like, hey, I want one of those. I don't want to have to surf the whole Internet and carry an iPad and whatever else. I just want to have this little piece of paper I can fold under my arm. But, it's, you know, it's,
0: it's the cosmology of it all. You know, the universe expands, it contracts, it expands, it contracts. It's just, you know, I think the newspaper will have its day
1: again. Yeah, but, you know, there's something. I, the, the The time growing up, it was a... And I'm sure every generation says that, right? Everybody, oh, it was a simpler time. I mean, I remember I could go out, ride my bike, run around. It didn't, you know, it got dark. I got hungry. I went in. That was, it was that simple. That,
0: that was the connecting feature of our time, of our generation, which was the bicycle. And I listened to your show a couple of weeks ago with Tyrus and uh, you talk about a kid who had a comp- completely different upbringing than uh i did and i know you did as well and uh what a story he has and his when he got to california he you know tells all these tales but the bicycle was the one thing that tied it all together and i recently had a chance to go with my sons back to the hometown where i grew up in the midwest and uh i drove them around and i said you know we used to do this and then i would come over this is my friend's house over here and then we would go to the creek over here and they looked at me with amazing wide eyes and they'd say how did you get from here to there and back again and i'd explain the bicycle and um they thought that was the biggest shaggy dog story they had ever heard (laughs) what kind of bike did you have john Oh, great question. Um, you know, always had, uh, the dream bike was the stingray, right? Yeah, baby. Um, but I never had the stingray. I always had hand-me-down bikes. I had my father's old three speed, which looked like an English Bobby bicycle and it held together like a champ. I'm pretty sure it was made from a melted old battleship. Uh, and weighed somewhere around 65 pounds
1: yeah you know it was uh, about it weighed about as much as i did and you're right <laughs> so i had a bike i went everywhere i abused this thing they did, they built bikes strong back then you know and Schwinn and huffy and but when we my brother i had a young brother alex you know alex really well you even know yeah. alex probably better than you know me anyway we um we when we lived in scottsdale arizona Love it. I remember wearing short pants to school. And this has got to be like grades, middle of grade six, all the way through grade 11, you know, so I was a junior in high school and certainly the younger part of that, that time. Um, I would wear shorts every single day, but when it got really cold, I had a down coat that I wore with my short pants, which I'm sure was very fashion forward. And, um, but there, we lived in an. It, it, we had a gated community, and there was a wall that I've gone back and looked at, and it's a good, solid six feet tall. Now, I'm six two, but I wasn't back then. The, the only way for me to get to school at Cocoa Paw, for those of you familiar with Scottsdale, I had to throw my bike over <laughs> the fence, and you know, I had. These biceps that were, you know, size of pencils. And I don't know how I learned to do it. It's probably my weightlifting regimen. Somehow I had to lift that thing. I'd throw my backpack over. I'd throw the bike over. I don't, every day, twice a day, right? Because I had to come back. And I don't know how the bike survived it. But man, I threw my bike over that wall for years. And it, made, I can't believe that never became an Olympic sport. Yeah, it really should be. You and, know, Alex I also Alex always believed, the on the other side. Well, Alex always believed that we should have the Olympics. Um but just the juice games, you know. The, if you had taken steroids, taking whatever, go ahead. It's your choice. If you decide to do that, let's see how fast, how high a guy could actually jump. <laughs> yeah, well, how fast uh, can he actually run?
0: Yeah, that's um, that's uh, that would be entertaining. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with John Shaver right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network.
0: I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.
1: Okay, so let's go back. Let's let put on a little philosophical hat here. Times have changed. There's a lot more stress. Kids are growing up in this electronic age where they have every sin and every um, problem at at their fingertips, uh, you know, with just the stroke of a few letters. Um, And yet they're missing so much of the ability to actually just kind of learn and meld and mold and and try and, and and entertain for themselves and be with friends and buddies with nothing more than than, you know, the outdoors. I
0: do worry about that, and I do believe it is shaping our world today, and lost or in the process of being lost is that ability to interact and to do it not only with the idea in mind that, you know, you want to get a message across, but also learning something in return and sometimes having those conversations that may go in any possible direction or interactions in any possible direction. And people have, you know, no surprise to anyone as we've become more polarized these days, that ability to communicate freely and openly and uh, to succeed and fail and mend fences and forgive and um, interact. And uh, I see it in the business uh, world a lot i have a new generation of people coming up that love to im but uh, are afraid to pick up the phone and call somebody and haven't help you to actually go meet with them face to face and i believe that's a, uh, a a dying art within our society
1: no i think i think that's true you know there were a lot of awkward weird things you had to do i remember i think it was called cotillion where the girls had like practice dancing for a whole yeah. I had to go. D- my mom said, look, I'm going to give you some basic moves and then you're going to go. Then you get, I'm like, I didn't want to do any of that, but you know, if she kind of forced me to do it and, and not that I can dance at all today, but I'm t- ingrained and stamped in my memory having to go do that. But I also sports to me was like my outlet sports to me was where I I got myself away from a lot of trouble, but I I had these interactions with people, particularly because my sport was soccer. I played soccer with all kinds of different people that I would have never spent time with and and, and cherished and being buddies with and shared oranges, you know, at halftime with. When you look back at it, there's
0: probably very few games you remember, but it's the interaction with your uh, co-players that really are, uh, what carried you forward in the lessons you learned and the bonds that you built. Did right? you play sports? I did. Um, and probably the worst sport for interactive skills and that's swimming. And, uh, we were at the pool three hours a day at uh, two hours in the morning and one hour in the evening face down. So your conversations consisted of five second, um, uh, uh, quips between, uh, sets. And so, um, it wasn't, uh, Um, very conversive, but at the same time, the friendships that uh, we built still last to these days. In fact, uh, when I was back in Illinois, it was mostly swimming friends um, that I visited with. And it was the same thing. It was a great melting pot. Uh, Swimming is a cheap sport uh, to play because you need uh, a swimsuit and a pair of goggles and a ride, generally speaking. And uh, unlike, uh, I had friends who played hockey who needed a new set of gear every year Uh, My parents couldn't afford that, but um, swimming threw us in there with all the uh, other kids who just needed two pieces of equipment and uh, off the races. So we had, you know, everywhere, every size, every background type of kid who was participating in swimming and some were good, some were great. And then there was myself somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Tell me about the first job you had. Where were you growing up, by the way? I grew up in a great place. It was a, a, a... best of places it was the worst of places it was the best of places because it was right smack dab in the middle of the midwest in illinois it was a small town of normal illinois which you know i always thought was ironically named uh we had two universities uh so it was a great influx of uh, ideas and crossroads of, of thinking Um, And that spilled over. One of the colleges, Illinois State University was one of the better teaching schools. So we had great uh, teachers in the school system. And I really didn't get to appreciate that until I moved away in high school. Um, And uh, that was the good part. The bad part was, boy, it was just flat Midwest cornfields. And uh, it was boring as could be. But at the same time, it taught me to be creative and to use that imagination and to go out and explore. And as you can imagine, as I got older and got the means to do those types of things and question things and learn things, um, it really impressed upon me on how fortunate every interaction is with every individual uh, to be humble, uh, you know, from humble roots and to really engage with people and learn something from everyone that you engage with what was your uh what was your first job john i'm <laughs> right in line with that two dollars an hour
1: yeah but... pulling
0: weeds yeah Doing what? big money pulling pulling weeds yeah so going out there with the little fork tool on the sidewalk pulling the grass out pulling the weeds out getting that first paycheck 24 dollars Learning who FICA, FUDA, and SUDA are and why were they digging into my $24. And uh, it uh, really made me appreciate uh, the need for physical conservancy in government spending.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, my first job, um, and I've told this story before, but basically. My dad said, hey, you know what? You're going to get a job. I said, well, I don't know how to get a job, which fell right into his lap. And he said, well, (laughs) we have this newspaper um, and see all this thing. These are all jobs. So you start calling until you find one. And I was excited because as advertised, this job only was until noon. And I thought that was great. And so I called the guy and I got the job, just a few conversations with him. And then my dad said, well, where is it? What time do you show up? Like, wh- wh- how do you get there? And so I had to call the guy back, ask him all the basics. And I didn't realize he picked me up at 3 a.m. And, oh my. Um, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Um, I guess it was 4 a.m. Anyway, it was one of the two. It was like ridiculous. You know, it was like 4 a.m. It was like 4 to noon. It was this 8 o- like. And it was picking weeds in Arizona in the summer. That's why we had to start to work because it's so blazing hot. And he said, wear jeans, wear a long sleeve shirt, wear a hat, because you're going to be in the cactus all day. And that's when I realized, John, that I was, you know, a blue, I was not a blue-collar guy, I was a white-collar guy. And And I said, I told my dad I wanted to quit. And my dad said, well, you can't quit until you find another job. I said, well, how do I find myself another job? And he said, well, make yourself more valuable. If you're more valuable, you make more money, you probably get a better job. And so I did. I found one, and I worked at the General Cinema Corporation.
0: Yes, I remember this. You uh, not only took tickets, but ran the projector and the snack bar,
1: correct? Yes. I, I was a multifaceted individual at the you were, 14. You are a
0: pioneer in multitasking.
1: Oh, yeah. I worked to the, there in Paradise Valley Mall. And, um, I remember as star Wars came out and we had to like, holy cow, the lines, and I had to keep people in the stanchions and keep them moving. And, and then I had to clean up these theaters and I had this moped that I had to take my, my parents were tired of picking me up at one thirty in the morning or whatever it was. So <laughs> they bought me a moped, a used moped. Now folks, these are not Vespas. Okay. This is not your local, you know, little motorbike. We're talking this thing had pedals, and if you really ran, you could run faster than this thing. And I still remember the street where they had these dogs that were outside at night, and they would always chase me. And I, you could see it coming. It was just like right out of the moon. He's like, oh, crap. Here it I cannot believe I didn't wipe out because they would be nipping at me. I'd be honking my horn. I'd be trying to dodge them, him, pushing the gas as fast as I could. And this oh, is just one of the Great world. experience. Looking back, that's the gift of melancholy. That was so fun. And, you know, I I did that, and I I helped hang wallpaper. Now, my contribution to helping hang wallpaper was carrying buckets up. And remember those toothpick uh, pencil-sized biceps I was telling you about? Yeah. Right. Going up three floors uh, in Arizona in the summer, no air conditioning, hauling up a big bucket of water. I'm talking big bucket here killed me. I was just like my hands, my fingers were like going to fall off. But you know what? Even though I think my job at General Cinema Corporation, I they were paying me $2.88 an hour. I remember seeing up on the wall there this thing that said that it was um minimum wage it, it, and I'm going to get the number wrong folks, but it was like 3.35 and I'm making 2.88 is something like that. And it was, uh, uh... Three <laughs> sixty-five, something like that. So I tell, I go home. and I told my dad. I said, "Dad, how come I don't make minimum wage?" I, said, I don't know. Why don't you ask Mister Hobie? He's your boss. So I go back in. I said, "Mister Hobie, how come I don't make minimum wage?" And he said, "We're in the entertainment industry. We don't. That doesn't apply to us." And later, <laughs> when I was in Congress, I figured out that that's true. Oh my! Yeah, we- well, um, I'm sure watch, watching you carry buckets upstairs
0: was pretty entertaining too
1: yeah well uh that one was not as fun because there weren't very many cute girls coming in and out like the movie theater had some some you know some people coming through and i always thought i looked pretty dapper in that navy or in that the uniform powder blue blazer yeah with short sleeve white shirt, clip on bow tie Are something you kidding about me? a man in uniform that's a magnet right there
0: well there were many menial jobs that followed the weed picking business um And probably it is the the
1: stair step to greater things, isn't it? It
0: it was, and it did lead to a business uh, that, when I was in college, uh, much to anybody who knows me now, chagrin was that I became a breakfast cook. Really, and um, I would work from uh, six in the morning till nine in the morning. Uh, Of course, you know, I had to be there at five thirty, but work those hours, and then two days a week, I had a class that was an hour and a half long that I would have to uh, leave the restaurant in a full sprint. They gave me a five minute head start and uh, hustle across campus to get uh, to this hour and a half long class. Now, the bad part about it was I smelled like breakfast. I smelled like bacon. I smelled like eggs. I was covered in a, a patina of breakfast preparation. And I sat next to uh, a young man named Peter Freund, who was the backup quarterback on the university of Illinois football team. So, and he was a football player, you knew that Illinois in the eighties coming off the Rose bowl, it was a class A team. And Peter was six foot four and I got to know him over the course of the semester. And uh, he would tell me, he said, John, they like me on the football team. They like me as quarterback because I can see over the line because I'm so tall but they don't like that I am, you know, only weigh about 190 pounds. So they put me at the training table every day and they feed me and they feed me and they feed me until literally I am sick and can eat no more. And I leave there. I feel horrible. I come to class. I sit next to you and about 45 minutes later, I start getting hungry again. (laughs) And it was all because I smelled like bacon. Needless to say, that was not a good semester for me.
1: You know, not that I just sit and listen to comedians all day, but uh, they there are some memorable lines there. And I remember him talking about bacon, and this guy's saying, <laughs> like, bacon's got to really stand up for himself. I mean, why is it not taking itself as top billing? Who? No, Nobody else in the food market does this. It's a BLT. Come on, America. That's a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. That is a bacon sandwich. Don't tell me it's a bacon, lettuce, and tomato. It's a bacon sandwich. Be honest. And I thought it was, It's a fantastic product that brings us all together. Who doesn't like... I love bacon. Bacon, bacon goes with fantastic. just about everything. It goes on pizza. goes on eggs. It goes on toast. I, I like... what, And it's just good by itself. No complaints about bacon. <laughs> well, you know how to cook it. That's good. Um, yeah, right. All right. I've got that going for me. <laughs> All right, let's go to today and today's generation because, you know, the finer arts of making bacon, popping popcorn, doing those types of things. I do worry that there's this generation that is has got this immediacy to it, that everything's just right in the palm of their hand. They can just, you know, fire up that phone, get whatever. They can order whatever they want to do. They can see whatever they want to see. They can communicate they can educate they can do i mean you can do a lot of good but you can do a lot of bad and uh without going through and having the types of experiences and um i don't know how do you how do you view this latest generation and and what are your concerns for it
0: that's a great question you know you're absolutely right there's a lot of immediacy and immediate gratification there obviously we talked about you know growing up earning something i think Your father did a wonderful job raising you and showed you how you stair step from one place to the next. Um, You may have setbacks, but you need to move yourself forward. And ultimately it's you that is personally accountable uh, for your own success. I fear that, you know, not every child gets that. Um, I try and drive it into my kids. I don't know how it would, how to make other parents successful in that. Some kids get it, some kids don't, and you know it's it's incumbent upon us and the success of the nation to have kids that you know are willing to take the hard work, to take the steps, um, to have what we call grit, uh, to get knocked down, and um, who aren't afraid to pursue success, but also aren't afraid to face failure and pick themselves up. And we live in a world that doesn't necessarily appreciate that like it used to. Um, We tend to take people who work hard and and climb the ladder, and um, now we call them out uh, for somehow having things that we don't have um, and rather than appreciating the hard work that they've put into getting to where they are, um, we, we sometimes claim that they've had some sort of, uh, unfair advantage. And in some cases that's the truth. Uh, there are no absolutes, but, um, it would be nice to get back to have some of that appreciation for, I think what, uh, Roosevelt called, uh, rugged individualism and, um, to not necessarily make our rock stars about people who are on TikTok and uh, are influencers, but instead people who have really embraced hard work and done it the way that uh, I, I, risked, I, I don't want to date myself by saying the old-fashioned way, but doing it the way that tends to work. Um, like that old saying goes, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Um, have concerns that kids don't necessarily appreciate the value of a good day's work
1: Anymore. Yeah, you know, and where I see it manifest itself as it's scary as a nation, and for me personally, I just I worry about our military. We just seem to try to dumb it down. We trying to lessen the requirements, make it easier, get make it more politically correct, spend billions of dollars trying to make sure we got the right green fuel instead of focusing on what we're really supposed to be doing with our United States military. And and I don't know how you view it, but I, I it really does worry me. Uh, It is concerning.
0: In fact, I think uh, CNN has a story today about uh, uh, a good majority of Americans who uh, cannot pass a physical fitness test. Those are types of things where PE is optional uh, in my kids' school uh, anymore and is being replaced by uh, other needs um, or other classes, I should say, is certainly concerning. And, um, you know, there are some things that are just basic and uh, taking care of yourself um, and knowing what the real world expects of you are two things that every child needs.
1: Yeah. It's okay for it to be hard and difficult. And I, I, I saw this, um, yeah, I, I can't remember who said it, but they were talking about how the majority of people, um, you know, just believe that they're above average and it's like, wait a sec. How's that gonna how's it's like in the federal workforce, and again, the numbers are close, but I don't I don't have my cheat sheet in front of me. I remember talking to the Office of Personnel Management, somebody from OPM, as they called it, and it was something like 70% of the federal workforce got a bonus. Now, we all pay for that as taxpayers, right? But they all got a bonus. And I and I said, well, what's the purpose of a bonus? And they said, well, we take extraordinary effort and extraordinary, you know, competency and everything else. And we reward that. And so you're telling me that 70% of the people are above average. Is that what you're trying to tell me? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, wait, can you explain how, how does that work? How is it that 70% of the people are above 50%? Like I just, it it just was mind boggling to me that that was the attitude and approach. It's like, everybody wins a trophy. That, uh,
0: well, uh, you're the soccer player.
1: <laughs> well, yes. I, I, you know, when my time as goalie and my time in the midfield was was pivotal to our victories. But we did win. Yeah. I played for the Thors, and we were pretty good. The Thors were very potent in our pink uniforms. We have we pink and blue. it we
0: sounds like you. a disaster in the laundry room.
1: <laughs> Somebody threw a Red Sox. <laughs> yes, and I have a picture to prove it. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I was talking about the military because my concern is that we're supposed to fight and win wars and get warriors out there on the battlefield instead of saying, well, sit ups are You know, we don't have to do as many of those as we suggested. Just, you know. It's kind of yeah, important. it is concerning.
0: Um, and I, I do believe the military is looking for a balance of recruitment numbers. Um, and, uh, you know, machines certainly play a bigger role in things. But I absolutely grasp your concern that, uh, you know, when it comes to a military, it's, it's uh, sometimes it's the fight in the dog, as you say, and what you see over in the Ukraine, where you see folks that are motivated to protect their homelands, their way of life. Yeah. Uh, their freedoms and um they're bringing the fight to the fight and uh it, it does make you wonder though if uh especially what you read about our military if some of the socially focused programs are time well spent you know historically the military especially when i was growing up when prior to i was growing up in the 50s it was the great integrator uh in the 40s as well it, uh, was ahead of many uh, organizations socially to uh, bring folks together. It was a great educator, the GI pill, uh, brought a lot of people to education. Um, but first and foremost, it was a fighting machine, right?
1: Yeah. You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be back with more of my conversation right after this. All right, I want to talk about just one more thing as we kind of go through this. And it's it's something that was. So core to who we were when I was growing up, but it's like, eh, it's totally optional now. That patriotism, love of country, love love of the flag, standing for the flag, uh, saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Uh, It's like, now we go and I hear schools, you know, now we do it once a week. It's just like, oh, we just kind of check the box. And it's just, it really does bother me that we even have a discussion in this country. Like I really, it's mind blowing to me that we have to have a discussion about whether or not the flag unites us or divides us. And I'm like, okay, if you don't like the United States of America. You don't have to live here. You can go live somewhere else, but it's giving you so much opportunity and so much of a voice. And so And, and look, people have it more difficult and some people have it easier. I get that, but that's the opportunity to succeed is there. And some people say, well, I don't start in the same place that you did growing up in a nice place. I get that. But the equalizer is the opportunity to get an education, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And even if you do have privilege, doesn't mean you're going to succeed. You could fail really hard if you don't do the right things. Yeah, I'm
0: going to butcher the statement, but somewhere I heard along the line it's it said we're all created equal. It's what we do from that creation point forward that makes the difference. And um, and, and I hear what you're saying. We are There are elements of our society that teach our kids that, you know, you don't have a fair shot. Um, you're not going to make it. But I, I hate to put that burden on a child. Um, you'll find, you know, I always look at successful people and say, what do they have in common? And, um, you know, they can be wildly different people and wildly different stories and actually wildly different definitions of success. But all of them at least brought one thing to the table and that's optimism. And it's the belief that they could succeed. I I think that um, your brother Alex and I deal with, uh, not as much as we used to, but a lot of entrepreneurs. And it's that, What do they have that others don't? And the common theme I've found is that they can't believe that they can fail. They believe that their ideas are so good that they would, why can't anybody else understand that? And it's that unbridled optimism um, that they have to succeed. There's no other option. It would be insane to think otherwise that seems to pull them all together. And there always will be exceptions but that belief that you are able to succeed is so common among successful people and you're absolutely right we live in a nation where you are allowed to succeed i would tend to believe that government is more in uh an impediment impediment uh, than it's ever been my son who is a, a little bit of a has that unbridled enthusiasm and unchecked willingness to succeed that a 15 year old can only have uh, right. uh doesn't necessarily have a strong appreciation for some of the obstacles uh has told me that he's wanted to start little companies all along and most of our pretty good ideas and he's willing to put in the work to make them happen but when i start to explain for to him the need to incorporate and Uh, what it takes to file at the Secretary of State's office and the filing of taxes and the need for separation of finances and uh, the risks and liability of course things. I really feel like the downer for the kid. And um, it's a shame in that regards that um, a government of people for the people should be encouraging the people and providing the people opportunity, not obstacles to succeed. And um, that is unfortunate but um again in that unbridled enthusiasm he still wants to proceed which of course means i
1: do a lot of paperwork for him <laughs> that's good that's good and uh no co of funds you get to invest without yes that's good
0: yes that's right and for a kid to go in and ask for a business account at the bank is quite an experience i might add
1: yeah no it's it's true. It's amazing that you go through school like you do, and they don't teach you the basics of like, hey, let's talk about balancing a checkbook, you know, and uh, let's talk about finance, and let's let's break down. Okay, when you make ten dollars, how much did you really make? Like, right. like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> I made ten dollars. I, 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 it's ten dollars an hour. I made ten dollars. Like, really? How much do you actually put and in your pocket? You yeah, you know. Right and so and then you break it all down oh wow okay i gotta work harder i gotta do more so uh john thank you so much for joining me i do appreciate it i've enjoyed our friendship along the way and just chatting with you and sharing goofy stuff on that we see on the internet and whatnot but um you know i i hope everybody that's listening here just uh they take a time and reflect and just say hey you know why do i believe what i believe and i think that you can't just do that every day, but you don't want to just do it at New Year's. But New Year's is a good time to reflect and remember all the good, fun things, but also the hardships that people go through. Because I think it, those are the things that give you character and backbone. They can chew you up and spit you out, but they can also make you a better, little more loving person. And all the, you know, now that I'm getting older, I think of all the hard things that are, we go have going on now and that we've done in the past. But I think, yeah, you know, that's those are the life experiences and everybody has those. It's not just you and it could be anybody from, you know, having to deal with, uh, mental health or drug or financial issues or addiction issues or, you know, it, or accidents that happen. All of these things impact their lives and in, in such a way. And anyway, John, I've appreciated our friendship. And as we turn the corner into 2023, hard to believe, um, there's always going to be somebody stupid doing something, something do, somebody doing something stupid somewhere, but there's also inspirational stories and things to bring us together. And anyway, I hope that's what you get out of this podcast. And and John, I, I appreciate you joining us today.
0: Jason, the same. And I appreciate our friendship as well. and Wish you a successful new year too.
1: All right. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, I want to thank you, uh, John Shaver, and all those memories and laughs and growing up and talking about way things should be and used to be and Hope you had a smile along the way. I want to remind you that you can listen to ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I would appreciate if you could rate this thing. That would be great. Uh, Always important to write a review. um, And go over to foxnewspodcast.com if you want to hear others from the Fox family doing their own podcasts. Really do appreciate it. We'll be back next week as we kind of get into the rotation here of bringing on some guests and talking about what's going on in the world, how they brought things together, how they make good things happen, and what they went through in order to do it. Um, I really do appreciate it. Thanks for your time. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House.